a woman arrived at the gates of heaven, and while she was waiting for St. Peter to greet her, she peeked through the gates, and she saw this beautiful banquet table, and St. Peter came up to the gate, and the woman asked him, this is such a wonderful place, how do I get in? And St. Peter told her, you have to spell a word. Which word? The woman asked. He said, love. She said, that's easy. L-O-V-E. He said, that's right. Come on inside. About a year later, St. Peter asked the woman to watch the gates of heaven for him that day. And while the woman was guarding the gates, her husband from earth arrived. I'm surprised to see you. How have you been? She asked. I've been doing pretty well since you left, the husband told her. I married that beautiful young nurse who took care of you while you were ill. And then I won the multi-state lottery, and I sold the little house you and I lived in, and I bought that huge mansion on the hill that you always liked. My new wife and I have been traveling all over the world, and we were on vacation in Cancun, and I was out water skiing today, and I fell and I hit my head, and here I am. What a bummer. Hey, how do I get in? She said, you have to spell a word. He said, what word? She said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> well, the, the, the Bible is clear that we don't get into heaven by any spelling feats or works that we have done. None of us deserves to go to heaven. It's only by the grace of God and, and through the provision of Christ that any of us qualifies. Today, we're in the, the second week of a, a study on grace, still amazed by grace. And today, we're looking at this idea of displaying grace, what it looks like in our lives, and understanding really the teaching, the doctrine behind that. So the idea that we can't get to heaven on our own good works is really the message of grace. You can't do it alone. And the great news is we don't need to. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting for us, and and the grace that he offers is greater. It's greater than anything you've done. It's greater than anything that's been done to you. His grace is greater than anything you might be going through. And my prayer is that through this message series, you would not only learn about God's grace, but you would experience it yourself and, and then share it with others. I want you to see today that grace is greater than anything you've done. So first, we must understand that the grace is, is undeserved. It's been explained that the justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. The Bible's clear about this all-encompassing problem of, of sin. It tells us in Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Any person who has lived and reached an age where they understand right from wrong, we've all defied God's authority and opted to do things our way. That word sin in the original language is hamartia. It's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. 
And so when aiming for that target of moral perfection, we all have plunged some arrows into the ground, falling short of our target. Over a few pages to your right in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it, it goes on to say, but the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The consequences that we deserve for our deliberate disobedience of God is this eternal separation from his holy perfection. But instead, what is offered to us is this free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Grace is undeserved. You may have grown up with a misunderstanding of the concept of, of God's grace. Perhaps like many, you have assumed that God is grading on the curve and as, as long as your good deeds outnumber your bad deeds and your sins, then you will go to heaven. That's what many believe. And, and that's an erroneous belief to think that we will be saved because of anything we have done, whether that's faithful church attendance or serving on a particular ministry or observing the Lord's Supper tithing or going on a mission trip, whatever it might be, all of those are good things which we should do, but the point is they don't earn salvation for us. And that mentality has misconstrued the concept of grace. Remember it said in Romans 6.23 that it is a free gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, the Apostle Paul makes mention of Christ and his grace when he exclaims, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Ephesians chapter 2 says the same thing, starting in verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then continuing in, in verse 9 of Ephesians 2, it goes on to say, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, it is the gift, there's that word again, the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace is a gift. We can't earn it. We can't afford it. We don't deserve it. And, and he's right that there is nothing we could ever do to merit, deserve, achieve, earn our way to heaven by our own works, because of our own efforts. It, it is a gift. God's grace is undeserved. The, the second discovery that I want you to make about grace is that grace is unexpected. Let's go back to that definition earlier. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Well, let me give you an example that might help illustrate that. Let's say one of these beautiful fall days, you have the radio going, and you're driving down the road, and you're kind of just caught up in the moment of the leaves and the sun and and the weather and the music, and 
before you know it, you've allowed that speed to creep up, and you've been pulled over by a, an officer who gets out to, to write you a ticket. The officer explains, hey, I stopped you because uh, you were driving 80 in a 65-mile-per-hour zone. And so writing you a ticket is justice. That's what you deserve. But if the officer says, I'm not going to write you a ticket today, but I'm going to issue you a friendly warning to slow down, that's mercy. That's not getting what you deserve. But if the officer says, I'm required by law to write you a citation today because you've broken the law and the the ticket carries a fine of $125. Then he pauses, reaches for his billfold and says, I'd like to pay for your ticket. Here's $125. That's grace. That's also unbelievable, but (laughs) that's how grace works. It's, It's getting what you don't deserve. Maybe you've been in a performance-based relationship where you were loved conditionally because of what you could do or provide for your friend. And God's love isn't like that. His love is unconditional. In fact, he loves us not because of what we have done, but in spite of what we have done. As a parent, I I get a glimpse of how God could love us regardless. I I have three children whom I love with all my heart, and while growing up at times, they may have upset me, disappointed me, offended me, as I'm sure I did my parents. But no matter what wrong they would ever do, I would never stop loving them. My love for them is unconditional. I remember when Jason, our oldest, was five years old, he and I were, were sitting in, in a car outside of the, the, the bank, and uh, we were waiting for Johnny to come back to the car, and he looked up at me, five years old, and he said, Dad, we're outside a bank, remember the context here, he goes, if I ever robbed the bank, would you still love me? I said, yeah, I said, you, you know, you could get in a lot of trouble for doing that, but uh, yes, absolutely, I, I, I'd still love you. He said, Dad, if I ever took drugs, would you still love me? I go, yeah, you could really hurt, hurt your body, and that's not a good choice, but yeah, I, yes, absolutely, I'd still love you. And so he went through this little litany of, of what he thought were the most heinous sins and grievances, and and after each one, the answer was the same. I'd still love you. That wouldn't stop me from loving you. I wouldn't change a, a, a thing. And, and that's how your heavenly father feels about you. I had a, a great time this past week uh, speaking at the revival over at Westport Christian Church. And each night, some of the grade school kids would, would come up afterwards and give me pictures that they had colored during the, uh, the services. And I told them, I'll hang them on the back of my office door where I, I hang those pictures for my grandkids and things. And, and that reminded me of, of the quote about our Heavenly Father that says, God has your picture on his refrigerator. You know, when kids come home from school and 
give their parents or grandparents what they've colored or worked on. Where do we display it? We, we stick it on the refrigerator with a, with a magnet, and, and we think about them and are reminded of them. And, and that's this idea that God has your picture, your handiwork, your artwork displayed on his celestial refrigerator. You, you matter that much to him. Jesus came to fulfill the performance-based Old Testament system of law and to usher in the provision-based New Testament system of grace. There's a, a sharp contrast. The law sees salvation as something gained. Grace sees salvation as something granted. The law seeks to achieve. Grace seeks to believe. The law relies on merit. Grace relies on mercy. The law claims attainment. Grace claims atonement. The law asks, have I done enough? And grace asks, have I trusted in my Savior? The law shouts what I have done, and grace shouts what Christ has done for me. The biggest difference is when we understand grace, we have a completely different motivation. When we understand grace, we no longer obey God in order to gain our salvation. We obey him because we've been granted salvation, and we want to say thank you. Explanations of grace fall short, but stories of experiencing grace are the best way to explain grace. I think it's interesting to note that the Apostle Paul used the word grace more than 100 times in his writings. Jesus never used the word, but certainly demonstrated it. His actions embodied the concept of showing people what grace looks like. And one of my favorite stories about Jesus and grace took place when Jesus dealt gently with a woman who had been caught in adultery. We, we read about it in John chapter 8. And so the woman had been dragged before Jesus, hurled in a heap on the ground. And those who had brought her were not interested in upholding the Old Testament. They were attempting to entrap Jesus. They hadn't brought her, her partner in sin, so it was a pretty lopsided uh, approach here. And so they said, what about it, Jesus? According to the Old Testament law, this woman must be stoned. What, what do you say? And they were hoping that he would be soft on sin, and then they could say that he was blaspheming. He wasn't following the, the, the Old Testament. And so they kept badgering him. It says in verse 7, they kept on questioning him. And, and at this point, Jesus had knelt down and was tracing in, in the dirt. And it says he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So if, if you're perfect, uh, go ahead and, and, and then execute her. That, that's what the law says. And then again, he stooped down, he wrote on the ground, and at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left 
with the woman still standing there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up again. He stood up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Notice Jesus didn't condone wrongdoing. He extended grace, and he compelled people to forsake sin and start fresh. What did he tell her, and what does he say to us? Go now and sin no more. Author Max Lucado described in this poignant sentence, they began to drop the rocks that they gripped, starting with the grayest beards and ending with the blackest. They had gathered their rocks, we're going to stone her. This will be great, a public execution. We'll make an example of her. We'll, we'll teach people a thing or two. And I love that poetic description of that. They began to drop the rocks they gripped, starting with the grayest beards, ending with the blackest. Jesus gave us a clear picture of what grace looks like. Does that mean we can live however we please and and not be expected to grow in spiritual maturity in the Christian life or or produce spiritual fruit? Certainly not. But we are immediately instructed in in our text there in Ephesians 2, verse 8, to do good. Because as Ephesians 1.4 tells us, that's what God created us for in the first place. So serving him demonstrates our gratitude to God for his unexpected grace. So let's review. Grace is undeserved. Grace is unexpected. And the final discovery I want us to make is that grace is unmatched. We need to realize that there's nothing that you could ever do that would make God love you more, and there's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you less. We are saved by Christ's sacrifice on Calvary, not by anything that we have done. And so when we understand grace, we're no longer trying to manipulate God and obey him in an effort to to get something, to, to gain our salvation. We're not being conditional. Instead, we obey him because of his unconditional love, and we've been granted salvation, and we want to demonstrate how much we appreciate it. We want to say thank you. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. Now I owe a debt I cannot pay. God's grace is unmatched, and although we can never repay that divine kindness extended to us, we can constantly live our lives in in grateful obedience in an effort to show him how much we love him. Listen to Ephesians 1.7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Titus 3 Verses 5 through 7 go on to explain. He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us generously, again, lavishly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Have you experienced grace? Or are you still chained in, in guilt and shame thinking, not after what I've done, God couldn't love me. Have you experienced grace or are you stuck in the anger, bitterness thinking? Um, not after what's been done to me. I, I can never forgive. Have you experienced grace or are you trapped feeling wounded or, or broken? Thinking, not after what my life has become. I, I could never change or, or go forward. I want you to understand that grace is greater and grace is greater than the addictions you battle grace is greater than the diagnosis you were given grace is greater than the abuse you've experienced grace is greater than the secrets that you've kept grace is greater than the addiction that you battle grace is, is powerful enough to erase your guilt it's real enough to heal your relationships. It's big enough to cover your shame. It's strong enough to sustain you when you're weak. It's sweet enough to cure your bitterness. It's satisfying enough to deal with your disappointment. It's beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. You may have given up on grace, but grace hasn't given up on you. Grace is still greater. Angel Hatfield wrote the following op-ed piece for Fox News. She writes, Pregnant and unwed teenager Maddie Runkles was the subject a few, year, a few years ago of countless news reports after the administration at her private Christian high school refused to allow her to walk in its graduation ceremony in order to teach a, a lesson regarding her immorality. The author writes, while I understand the school's desire to teach their students lessons about the consequences of sin, I also think the events in Maddie's life could have provided students with a lesson about grace, the grace that caused Jesus to tell a woman living in sin, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. John 8 that we just looked at. And the author Angel writes, I know something about this. You see, once upon a time, I was Maddie Runkles. I also became pregnant outside of marriage while barely out of my teenage years. Rebelliousness had set in, and, and I skated in sin, believing the big lie that there were more pleasures to be found in the world than in God. Driven by fear, I hid my pregnancy for five months, and I knew that the shame and guilt I carried would only amplify plus usher in condemnation once others learned my secret. Was I up for this? Like Maddie Runkles, I was raised in a Christian home where we upheld Christian principles and embraced biblical values. She writes, in fact, my father was a pastor and this further enhanced my anxiety as I struggled to tell my parents about my pregnancy. It, it weighed heavily on me, especially in knowing that another decision, a secret one, 
to not have my baby could get rid of being shamed by others. The day I finally mustered up strength and courage and confided in my father, something extraordinary happened. My father's shoulders sagged and he hung his head and and momentarily we sat in silence, me holding my breath, awaiting his reaction while wearing the weight of his certain disappointment and possible anger. Then there was that indescribable, overwhelming feeling of shame that, that washed over me in waves. My father finally raised his head, looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, Honey, I am so disappointed. I am. And now it was my turn to hang my head. And you have made poor choices which now have consequences, he continued. It won't be easy. There will be struggles and a hard path ahead of you. But I love you. And now I figure... I've been given more to love. What? My mouth dropped open. Before I could respond, my father got up from his chair. He reached over, wrapped me in his arms, and simply held me. It was just what I needed and not anything I expected. Tears ran down my face. I'm so sorry, Daddy. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? course. And what I encountered was something I had never fully grasped, though I'd been taught it for years. Grace. I didn't get what I deserved, but I certainly fully received what I had been taught. Grace swept over me, unleashed its power, connecting both with my head and with my heart. And the only way I can describe it is that Grace is the gift of a big exhale, holding one's breath and waiting for what most certainly should come to receiving a a, a free pass that one would absolutely not expect. That grace moment propelled my life in a new direction. I confessed my sins. I cleaned up my act. I charted a new course fanned by the winds of grace and truth spoken in love. My father was right. I did choose a hard path, and and there were struggles ahead. But when I look into my son's beautiful eyes, I am so glad that I made the right choice after I made a wrong one. Grace has the power to change one within, which unleashes the feeling of freedom and propels one in a positive direction, not the opposite. While our paths may be easier when we make the right choices, God is there to gently restore when we stray. Then she concludes, publicly shaming Maddie Runkles and not allowing her to walk in her graduation ceremony will not change anyone else for the better, just as having allowed her to participate in graduation would not have likely prompted young girls to get pregnant. Shame didn't teach me. Grace did. And I didn't learn grace by hearing about it, but by being the recipient of it. This morning, do you need God's grace?
if you've never fully committed your life to Christ and, and experienced God's grace in your life, the, the Bible says you are lost. And the voices of this world will tell you that's not a big deal or that's not the case or hell isn't real. And that's a tremendous gamble to take with your soul and your eternal destination. You know, Satan won't tell you there's no heaven. Satan won't tell you there's no hell. Satan will tell you there's no hurry. You can take care of that later. That's a good idea. That's something you might want to do someday, but just put it off right now. Don't respond to the Lord. Don't obey him. I want you to stand right now. I'm going to pray for you, and, and then we're going to sing a song of decision. And if you need to respond to the Lord in any way today, we, we'd like to have a conversation and, and help you with that. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for your amazing grace that is greater than our disgrace. We thank you that although we don't deserve it, that you have offered us forgiveness for all that we have done to you and against you. Lord, I, I pray that we would display that grace in our own lives and that it would change the way that, that we look at things, the way we look at our past, the, the way we look at our present, and as we look forward, the, the way that we respond in the future. Lord, I pray for those today who may be considering making a, a decision for you, contemplating a, a life commitment to follow. I pray that you would not let them rest until they have followed through and, and responded to your spirit. In, in Jesus' name we pray.